Part eight first? Yeah. yeah. Now everyone knows what we're going to do. Hello there, and welcome to a very special episode of Pivotal Boom. I am Tom Nolan. Why does he love me, Dad? <laughs> Why does he love me, man? Um, that's Mario asking the big questions. We have to he said you. very special episode, so I had to go to the most important very special episode. Right. Which was when Will asked... Why doesn't he love me, man? Or when Carlton bought the gun. This is a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode, right? That's not the same episode? No, it's two different episodes. Why did Carlton buy a gun again? Uh, he got, like, robbed. Oh, yeah, 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 There was a lot of very special episodes on that. They worked, though. One time I went to Cutler's that, in New that, Haven and that saw epi- Uncle Phil with two huge fucking greyhounds in the record store because he was doing a play at Yale Ref. He's was, apparently a really good stage actor. Yeah. That's what I heard. What was his name? James um, Avery. Avery. James yeah. Avery. I love James Is that Avery. right? He was the best, yeah. He was the best part of that, that oh, show. He was so fucking mad all the time. He was the best. He was the best. Oh, on the show. On I was like, show. was he angry with his greyhounds? He was He's screaming. Greyhounds. He just was throwing greyhounds out of doors. Sons of bitches. Yeah, um, that movie convinced people that Will Smith... I mean, that episode convinced people that Will Smith was a great actor. Um... And they did Ali, and that was basically it. They needed Pursuit of Happiness. Hot take. <laughs> With a Y. And no, Seven Pounds was the movie where people were like, <laughs> maybe Will Smith isn't that good. Is that the one where people like, are convinced King people Richard were... is going to be good? That That's not going to be good, right? Well, no, I'm not 100% sure why um, well, do they we... need to make a movie about Serena Williams or and Venus Williams' dad. Yeah, I don't see so either. But let's get to our personal King Richard, King Lear, King Henry, the. The one, King JP, he's here, folks. Hello. And he's loud because I have to adjust <laughs> the levels. There's some level work here. Well, we invited JP in because we had to. This is an episode that we talked about last week that we've been waiting to do. Are we pretty, talked about this all for a while? Pretty much since like the beginning of the of the podcast, where we recognized that like we had every single movie by a certain director on our list except for two. And that director is Paul Thomas Anderson, even though I'm pretty sure the same could be said about Stanley Kubrick. Did, is, is it? I only have. I only had one. one. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're, so you're I'm the, doing all yeah. the other work. I was um, just thinking about that. Like, like, all these are yours. <laughs> yeah. But the fact that I think the fact that you have him on your list at all prompted us to, to do this. Because. And was it a crossover? Is it. Nope. There, no, no, that's that's, right. that's, 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 that's impressive. Too. So that's between impressive. the two of us, it wasn't like a Coen Brothers thing where like we had. It, I think the Coen Brothers had no the country most, and dumb, like, the no most country Fargo, things. yeah, and that's it, right? Just no country and Fargo and Big Lebowski and Big Lebowski. But then you also have Miller's yeah, Crossing and, and a Serious Man, and a Serious Man on it. So like it's I, so that's what eight? eight. We talked about the Coens eight times on this list, yeah. including. Um, Doing a review of Buster Scruggs. I think Stanley Kubrick is probably the other one where I think the only ones that aren't on our list are like the really early ones, like The Killing and Paths of Glory and Spartacus. And I think that's it. And Barry Lyndon. <laughs> but we didn't want to talk about Barry Lyndon. That's why. Did we, did we talk about 2001? Yeah, it's on my list. It's like my 26. How do I, I completely blank out? Was I really drunk that episode? What's going on? No, I think you were pretty happy. I think when we were doing that portion of the list, you were just kind of like, I don't want to do this anymore. Huh. I just, this is your movie. 
so I'm not going to. Oh, okay. Have a, I'm not going to have. Thoughts. I made I made a lot of Tarkovsky comments. I if I remember right during that episode. Sure. Well, because we were probably deep into Tarkovsky at yeah. that point. Well, and the Shining was only on the Stephen King episode. Yeah. And the no, and, and a room. And room two thirty seven. Right. Yeah. Um, which I count as like the Shining, which is ostensibly is. It's a better movie than the Shining. <laughs> He's got, his, he's got his new movie coming out this year, too. Stanley Kubrick does? No. Um, <laughs> oh, Ron Asher? Ron Asher. Yeah, uh, it already came out. Um, yeah, but it's getting like a, um, it's getting like a special... Are like, they going to release Sturgis, it? Like, Sturgis, like, film nice. festival release. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, I haven't watched that one yet, but um, it's the... Uh, it's not, it's not available one. It's not available to watch, is it? I think it is. If it is, we should review it. Yeah, we should review it. It's, yeah. been, it's been one of those movies that was like... the, um, the Yeah, it, like, I feel like it came out in January. Like people I just I just didn't think it got I didn't think it got covered. Uh, speaking of covering uh, things, we should probably cover this beer. Oh yeah, what are we drinking? This is this is another from my uncle's Vermont trip, which we've been enjoying. Uh, this is from Foam Breweries. From Breweries, which is has a really good bar spot, and this is Burlington. Burlington, yeah, yeah, really nice, bre- really nice bar there. I went on a solo vacation after a breakup um, mm. to Burlington. How did that go? Burlington's uh, far, man. You went out there. Yeah, you know who it was. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, I spent a night at Foam Brewers just drinking by myself, going through the, the run of the beers, and I enjoyed them. Um, yeah, uh, this is my first foam. This is called Pavement. It smells like bubblegum. I know. Doesn't that smell like bubblegum? It's a double IPA. Yep. It's got that bubblegum smell. I usually like the bubblegum smell. Ooh, that is slight. Smooth. Yeah. It's smooth and slight, yeah. Yeah. But it's got that double edge. Does it? To it. I think it does. A little bit. Yeah, just a little. Like it's on the on the back. What's the uh, ABV on this? I wouldn't be surprised if this is a 10. 8.2, I think. I think it's 8.2. Two. I'll check. Yeah, 8.2. You know what this tastes like? This tastes like uh, a nightmare beer. Uh, from Nightmare Brewing out of 12% before they throw all the shit in it. It says, Burlington, Vermont, keep cold, drink fresh. Time kills art. <laughs> That's deep. But doesn't it? It kind of tastes like a Nightmare Brewing before like Nightmare Brewing adds all the extra pistachio. And Did you see my, my text message to you about, about the, the, yeah. the double IPA from Nightmare Brewing? I, um, I actually saw that at the liquor store. It was at the counter. But they wanted $21. Yeah, they wanted $23 for it. This is a double IPA, JP, that had cocoa nips, granola, yogurt, I saw the raspberries. It. it was rough. Yeah. Nightmare. It was also... Nightmare, you make good beers. Like, like uh, I want to drink that. I do, too. It's not painful. But I also... That's the problem. Yeah. But I also try like, all, everything. Right. So, Nightmare and... Nightmare did the, um, the drawn and quartered, which mm-hmm. we liked, the, the mm-hmm. quadruple. Uh, they also did the Feed Me a Stray Cat, like co-op beer with uh, Fat Orange Cat. Yep. And both those beers are solid because they're not adding the shit to it. Yeah. Nightmare, stop adding shit to your... You know how to make beers. Stop doing this. Stop adding shit to your beer. They also know how to make can art, though. They do. I like, it. I like their can But, like, your beers are good without... I mean, it's, maybe if you want an exper- Maybe you know you can make good beers... But uh, you know, just, just you just want to do experiments. That's so fine. Just like fucking around. But this is this is good. good. This is really solid. Yeah. yeah. This is the problem with splitting these up three ways, though. Is that like I'm 
It's this is not enough beer to stop me from drinking it. There's a second one. There is a second one. There is. Yeah. All right. So what are we doing here? We I think we said what we're doing. Did we say we're talking well, last about week? Anderson. Last week we had a double feature of Maya Rudolph. Right. We had a double feature of Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph is only in one of the movies that we we're talking about this week. But you know her husband is or not husband. I don't think they're married. She calls him her, her husband, but yeah. they're 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 um, just never been officially. So we didn't talk about on our in the entirety of our podcast. We didn't talk about. Um, two Paul Thomas Anderson movies. One of them is my second favorite Paul Thomas Anderson film. Sure, and we'll get there. Episode zero, we mentioned um, The Master. We also talked about The Master in my best of the 21st century so far list. We talked about Punch Drunk Love in the 70s. We talked about uh, Magnolia and There Will Be Blood in my top 15. You had Phantom Thread in your 30s. Um, I also Boogie mentioned Nights. Phantom Thread in my yep. scores, and did I mention in the top of my 20s? I feel like Phantom Thread we've been anywhere. talking about a lot. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think you did put no, it in there. No, I don't think yeah. I put it in there, but um, definitely my number one score. Yep. We mentioned Boogie Nights was in my 40s when we were talking about those kind of, those, I don't know, classic movies for, for people my age. Like, when you see them, you're just kind of like, well, that's... So, Boogie Nights, Pulp Fiction for me, like, those are those... Movies that at the time when I saw them like seemed really subversive and like shit. This is like this is dark stuff. Um, but that's it. And what we just skipped. We just didn't. Two movies just didn't make our list. And one of them is because. I, do you remember the last time you had seen Heart Eight? One of them is Heart Eight. The first time I saw it. Yeah, the first that time I it. saw it. Yeah, yeah I I've, I've only seen it once, and I was just. I think I saw it like in bits and pieces. I only saw I saw on video a guy had a video and it was kind of it was after the Magnolia Boogie Nights stuff was happening to me we were like oh Paul Thomas Anderson has another movie and it was and it was it was Hard Eight and then the other one is which is we all have a history with we all, we all saw, saw it together. together that's right infamously the ice storm oh, oh, until that until Ooh, that story um, 2014's Inherent Vice <laughs> uh, which is the oh only my god adaptation. that's 2014 huh that was a long time ago. I was old and terrible. I was working at the, I was working at the, uh, I was working for the state at that point already. So you just got for a year, uh, for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I want to hear a little bit from JP. I feel like we've covered like Paul Thomas Anderson for me because <coughs> excuse me. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to startle you. Spit take. JP was just doing. If you listen to our last episode, he was just doing the laser. Obstacle course that we had set up earlier. Um, I was I was staring at that fine booty the entire time. Skin skin tight black suit. Um, we and Mario were doing Scottish accents, um, so. Uh, but like that sound thing. I don't. I was talking about Sean Connery's accent. So we He's covered. Dead. We, we covered what uh, Paul Thomas Anderson means to me. We covered and in doing so, we covered a lot about what how like you kind of were there. See. There's a traffic. Still there. <laughs> it's, it's not going away. Um, a little bit how like you feel about and respond to Paul Thomas Anderson movies. JP, I feel like you've been involved in maybe one of the Paul Thomas... Were you there for any of the PTA movies? No. Okay, so... We've uh, talked about Paul Thomas Anderson. Sure, sure, sure. Not sure, 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 sure. on the podcast. So, right. Or maybe, like, offhandedly. Is Hard Eight the first... Wait, 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 wait. The first movie we're going to talk about today is Hard Eight. If I were to give you... $50, what would you do with it? I'd eat. How long can you eat? How long can you live on $50? I don't know. I would bet 
Not very long. It's always good to meet a new friend. Oh, you took care of him? John is a very old friend. Oh, he's pretty adorable the way he follows you around and looks up to you. Hello. Hi. I don't do anything that I don't want to do. You understand? Says you remember, Jimmy. Yeah! Friend lives up there. I saw you playing crap over the original Doom. Bet the hard eight for a thousand and pressed it to Stupid bet. He thinks you don't like him. I don't. I know some things about Atlantic City. You walk around like you're Mr. Cool, Mr. Wisdom, but you're not. You're just some old hood. Please do not put a bullet in me. I love you, Sid. And please don't tell John what I've done. So you think what? That you can just walk through this life without being punished for it? Philip Baker Hall, John C. Riley, Gwyneth Paltrow, and Samuel L. Jackson. I never watched Cigarettes and Cardi. I watched it this morning. It was so grainy. I wasn't going to, but Miguel Ferrer was on the the, the YouTube like picture. Uh -huh. I was like, what? Well, he's al he's also dead. Yeah, that's terrible. That's that's like the under the undercurrent. Philip Baker Hall. Not dead. He's not dead. He's still alive. Still Somehow. kicking. Somehow. This version of Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> Very dead. Dead. Doesn't exist anymore. <clears throat> now um, her vagina is in a candle. Mario. It's true. She, she sold a candle through her thing that like smells like her vagina, apparently. Oh, her thing. Hers specifically? I guess so. It's like, it's like her through her little company thing. Boop. Yeah. And there's another one that like, smells like her orgasm, I guess. It's that's, weird. That's a real thing. This is like that's not a, weirdly that's... necessary to have in this conversation, I think. So, is this your first? Did you see this movie first? Was this your first? No, it couldn't have. Could no, have no. Been your first PTA? It was right after Boogie Nights. Okay. I was like, I gotta go to the video store and see what else there is. Um, honestly, I don't know how I came up by it. I mean, what year is this? Was there even the internet? So I think ninety-seven. This would have came out in ninety-seven. <laughs> So, but it was made before Boogie Nights. Yes. But it came out, right I think, right after Boogie Nights. And to hear PTA talk about it on, like, I'm referencing the w his miraculous WTF, which everyone that's interested is, is it's canon for a PTA, even though I think he's, I think he's clearly bullshitting. I listened to it yesterday, oh, and it's fantastic. Oh, it's so good. Is it's, Mark Maron on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. too much Mark Barron. They have a they have like a perfect two hours together. Um, but he talks about it. He's like a cable company had cable companies in the nineties had just like a <clears throat> fuck ton of money and they just gave he bullshitted his way into this movie was able to get because he had Phil Baker Hall do a short for him. He got <clears throat> Phil Baker Hall to do this thing. John C. Riley, Philip Seymour Hoffman. He just kind of lucked into casting Gwyneth Paltrow. I think they all contributed money too. Yep, yeah. and then. The, the the production company wanted to take the cut back, and that's, they named it Hard Eight. And then he traded eventually. Like two years later, he paid with his Boogie Nights money 
He paid to finish the movie the way he wanted to finish it, but he said, you can name it. And they named it Hard Eight. It was originally called Sydney. Was this did, did he, you know was that? this was this produced by the Lutheran Society of Eastern Pennsylvania? No, of Western this, Pennsylvania? No, that's why it's not as good as the amusement park. <laughs> or is it just or terrifying? Um, but but I kind of had, like encountered the same thing. Like after seeing a couple of PTA movies, when you realize that there's like an, an earlier one that's like a real movie and stars people that were in those movies, you're just like, holy shit! What's I have to see this? And I remember the first time I saw it, I was kind of like, okay. Yeah, my impression was this is a really good first movie. But I didn't feel a need to revisit it. Right. When was your hard eight experience? Oh, God. I think, so, in college, I had Charter Cable. Mm-hmm. Right? What's that? Charter Cable's Comcast in the West Coast. Okay. And I had, I had the cable, and they would offer, like, on-demand movies that were free. Mm-hmm. And so you just scroll down to your little menu. You'd pop it up, scroll down, look around for a random movie. Mm-hmm. When it's just a Saturday night and you have nothing else planned in your sophomore year of college. It's Saturday night. Or Sunday night. Um, oh, come on, man. Singing song. And I think that's how I found it. And I kind of like watched it while doing other stuff. And that, that was my first experience to it was just kind of it being on while doing other stuff. What I have you I watched... seen by him prior to that? Uh, prior to that, I'd seen. I, I think I had just seen Boogie Nights prior okay, to that. Yeah. Um, and this was like in the lead up to There Will Be Blood mm. coming out. Um, so I was like, I'll watch this. But then I just ended up doing other things while watching it. And I think it's a really interesting point to make that. This was legitimately my first time I sat down to completely watch it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. First time. It's the first today. time I'd sat down to today. Really watch, to, oh, really? It was today? So it's fresh. Um, Not during my work day. I think it's interesting. No, no, no. Um, you got up really early to, to do it. Yeah, I, I for I for I forwent my my gym. To no, do no, no. you have my... your priorities. Yeah, you, yeah. you put them in order. You're, woke up at, you live woke up a very organized yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I was back then. Um, I'm master of this. <laughs> I love that the mock Twitter feed. And he remask like, our teenagers. <laughs> I love, I love the unmasked kids things, and it's just like, because people are putting signs in my town, and they're like, call the board of ed. I was like, there's not even school. What are you talking about? Just don't put masks don't, on your kids don't, if you don't want Don't worry about it just yet. Yeah, just... Remember, we're a movie podcast. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Getting off topic. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting to think about the fact that, like, when There Will Be Blood was his fifth, was his fifth movie. Because... Heartache, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Truck Love. Oh, right, right. But oh, so I also seen Punch Truck Love right. by this point. But there will be every move, every PTA movie felt like a kind of re, like introduction to, to him as a guy because he wasn't he didn't make movies frequently. It's like an every three years thing, and There Will Be Blood seemed like such a divergence from everything that he was doing before. It wasn't in L.A. It wasn't kitschy or cool or, or anything. Modern. Or modern. It was so fucking dark. But it used all the same guys with the introduction, except for the introduction of Johnny Greenwood doing the score. Um, Hard Eight, in a lot of ways, to for me, just always got kind of lost in the shuffle. I mean, it's because it looks like Boogie Nights, and it, the camera acts like the camera in Boogie Nights. It's easy to think that it's, in some ways, like... 
and it mentions Jimmy Gator, so like you know, it's it's part of the universe. Um, it's 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 easy to think that it's part of like um, like a continue like the Boogie Nights is a continuation of it. That Magnolia is somehow a continuation of that. But in reality, I think JP, what you're saying about like it being like a really good first movie is that that's really all it is. Like watching it back now, um, last night. Which I have a really interesting, not interesting story about watching it. As like I was like an hour and twenty minutes into it, and I had my phone next to me with the play-by-play of the Suns Clippers yeah, game. Yeah. And then like I so I stopped watching it at some point to like see what the hell happened in the Suns in the Suns Clippers game. Um, the Canadians won last night by basketball. <laughs> we should do a sports podcast. We can talk about basketball, and I'm just like hockey happened also. Well, you know what? One of my overriding memories of this is that it was sort of a slog and slow moving. Mm. But when I watched it on Monday, I ripped through it. I I didn't feel like it was a drag or a slog. I, I thought it was real well paced. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, probably See, I, more than I recall. I feel like I feel like it's a it's 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 a slog. Oh, I, I feel like it's it's a painful experience that's only lifted by Philip Baker Hall's performance and i'm gonna come at, back so, like at all i don't yeah. even think john c Riley's doing anything i don't think john c Riley's very good at it at all yeah actually, no. it was weird watching this movie after having seen inside the bo burnham thing because i was just like oh let's remake this movie and cast bo burnham in the john c Riley part because it, it's like he's making certain like it's very like age appropriate like he would make the same faces um it feels know, like john c Riley's being directed by gus van zandt well, it's uh, that's really interesting because I think it's, I think the script is it's obviously an early script, so he wrote it and directed it. It's one of those things where, like, I think post this movie, everything that happens in Paul Thomas in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie is a thing representing something that Paul Thomas Anderson is interested in, at least for the next three to four movies. So Boogie Nights, he has said, is kind of about. Like he doesn't have any experience in like the porn industry, but he grew up in the valley. Right. So like that, he still lives in the, the valley. The porn stuff was like all around him. He said his grandmother lived across the street from like a porn house. Um, he was invested in that. like Brazzers. No, no, no. The Brazzers house. Not like Brazzers. I think just a place where pe- they people just came to shoot porn. Um, isn't just porn now just shot in all houses? Yeah. He yeah. made cast a. There's a porn star in. Inherent Vice. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, God, her name was Catherine Watterson. <clears throat> no, that, no, I mean like an actual... I know, I know. I know. Um, Magnolia is very much about his life. Uh, Hunt Truck Love is about... is not necessarily about anything that has anything to do with him, but it's about... It retains that feeling of the valley. Having a big family, feeling of the valley, about art, about making his own art. Um, and then... There will be blood, and even the master, I think, come from uh, deep, deep kind of like, research and consideration of things that were interesting to him. I don't know if he has any connection. I haven't heard that he has any connection to like Vegas or gambling or whatever. Or, or of, Reno. Or Reno. Who would have a connection to Reno? Nobody. I definitely didn't think of you. I did at see any on. Point I did see on Wiki that his own financing for the movie came from gambling winnings. Oh really? I didn't. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Um, so maybe he was kind of doing some, he was doing some stuff. Yeah. But I think the script in and of itself is very non-specific. 
So the stuff that that he has John C. Riley saying, um, and so John C. Riley plays Johnny. He is uh, when Philip Baker Hall Sydney meets him. He's like down on his luck guy who came from Vegas and lost a bunch of money when he was trying to make money to pay for his uh, mother's funeral. John uh, Philip Baker Hall teaches him some things, some tricks to kind of uh, get his life. Is is it Vegas or is it Reno? It's Vegas, right? They go to Vegas. Like they're in Reno. They're in Sparks initially, then they travel down there. Mm -hmm. Um, Like the initial like setup of that play and all that is um, Reno, but then they go to Vegas. Okay. Um, Cut to two years later, and Johnny's a high roller. Sydney is you know an old man who's being made fun of by Philip Seymour Hoffman or a really long weird. Same hair as in Punch Drunk Love, apparently. Same hair. It's almost like the same character from Boogie Nights. Like right. He was ruined in, in Part <laughs> 8, and that's what wouldn't happen to him. Um, and then uh, we meet Clementine, played by Gwyneth Paltrow. She's a waitress there, and uh, Johnny gets involved with her, and uh, she's a hooker. This is her only waitress. Paul Thomas Anderson film, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's an incident where a, a John tries to Screw her out of three hundred dollars. Not our John. What? Not our John, but a different John. A different John. A meta. A, a metaphorical John. A representative John. Like whatever you know. A, a John in nomenclature. Sure. Yeah. Very very good. Um, they beat the shit out of a guy, and then Sydney comes in to save the day. He sends him to Niagara Falls, but Jimmy, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who is just not a very good actor in 1996 or five, whenever this is made. When he um, has that earlier interaction, initially, like the only, okay. I think the only time that the, the script is really working, except when Philip Baker Hall is doing things, mm-hmm. is that initial interaction they're talking about Clementine's pussy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's like the like when he's kind of on that. He's just trying to Tarantino it too much. But I think there's an interesting thing where Tarantino would have let that scene breathe a little bit more and let mm. get some Jimmy reaction shots. And Paul Tarantino has no interest he's in like, that. I, I gotta go. I gotta like, go. I, gotta hey, get I, out. I have things to do. Yeah. He did seem like he was still playing Jules. Yeah. Or was about to play Jules. Or was no, he more, he more felt Jules. like he more felt like he was doing um, the character in Jackie Brown. Oh, yeah. Me. Oh, yeah. What's that guy's name? Uh, I'll get in a second. You have the command center in front of you. But anyway, uh, Jimmy knows some stuff about Sydney. He uh, extorts Sydney for uh, $6,000. Ordell, right. $6,000. Jimmy later takes his retribution. He begs um, Jimmy not to tell him, to tell Johnny about, you know, what happened to Johnny's dad. Great monologue. It is good. Or the Philip Baker Hall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a little vague, though. A little vague, but, like, Philip Baker Hall... Like, if this movie is just two hours of Philip Baker Hall reading the script to you, I think it works ten times better. But you know what scene I kept thinking of when I was watching that the monologue scene was Tom Cruise in Magnolia when Guinevere has kind of, like, cornered him about his family, and he just sits and stares at her, Mm -hmm. and she's like, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm quietly judging you. Paul Thomas Anderson had figured out by Magnolia, I don't have to say anything if I don't want to. I can nuance this. I can do a lot of work with camera. I can do a lot of work with t- soundtrack and tone where the John Bryan score 
is very uh, Michael Penn is very John Bryan Michael Penn film noir kind of pseudo film noir score which I think is sometimes good and sometimes just is not doing enough work or doing too much and overwhelming it right um, yeah exactly but I think I think that I think you get a bit of that in this film during the phone conversation where I think like things are allowed to breathe but there isn't a, really a score overwhelming that in the conversation that Johnny has with him from Chicago that John has yeah that Sydney and John have when he tells him he loves him like a yeah. son yeah, yeah yeah a little bit a little bit um when Philip when it's on Philip Baker Hall right and I think there's there's an element too of like the hotel scene where you kind of want that to happen too like they just are talking the whole time and it seems it's weird to talk about Inherent Vice and um, uh, Hard Eight together because it seems like past a certain point in the movie, everyone in Hard Eight except for Sydney is just on cocaine constantly, but you never see anybody doing any coke. Right. But in Inherent Vice, if you read about Inherent Vice, everyone's like coke, 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 coke. And you only see him doing coke one time. The one scene. Right. right. Exactly. But everyone's like, oh, it's a coke. Everyone's coked out and all this other shit. It's like. The book is about heroin. Like, I'm not sure why. Well, well, Inherent Vice as a film feels more like what you would experience on heroin. Yes. Or a psychotropic than... Aside from that Martin Short segment. Right. Yeah. Not according to film criticism. Well, they're idiots. As a a whole. But I think we're moving... They've never done cocaine. I've never done cocaine, but I know people have done cocaine, and that movie is not at all a cocaine movie. I'm going to be honest with you. Doing cocaine feels a lot like being in a hotel room with a guy chained to a bed and Gwyneth Paltrow crying in a corner and John C. Riley standing right in your face being like, I don't know, man. I don't know. Don't worry about it. I don't know. You need to help me. I don't know. A little nitpick. Why didn't they just take the money out of his pocket and, like, leave? Yeah, or why cares. not take any money? I think it's... So this is where I think it's it's a beautiful... Like you said, it's it joins that, like... I don't know how many movies it is of the early '90s indie films. So you have your. It's, it reminds me. It reminds me a lot of like what Bottle Rocket is doing. I, I hesitate to say that like yeah. the Wes Anderson of Bottle Rocket. I want to. I wanted to see later more of that from Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. whereas the Hard Eight of Paul Thomas Anderson, the path he then took from that, I'm happy with. Like, I'm happy yeah, with the divergence sure. he took. Whereas, like, the Wes Anderson's kind of, like, whimsical away mm-hmm. from, like, kind of, like, this hardened center that he has mm-hmm. with Bottle Rocket mixed with, like, some slight choices of, I don't know, not necessarily surrealism, but, like, you know, a slight sort of aesthetic choice that feels deliberately airy. I wish Wes Anderson had hewed closer to that the original Bottle Rocket sense. Well, it's interesting. I want to have this. I want to have like a quick conversation about the guy. If there's anybody else that we can throw into it, like feel free to throw them into it. But like in all the auto, like the '90s indie auteurs, so Wes Anderson, Steven Soderbergh, Sex Lives and Videotape, um, Kevin Darren Aronofsky, Darren, uh, Darren Aronofsky, Pie? a little bit. He's a little bit later. He's well, like, Pie is like '98. '98. So he's like a little bit outside of this. Quentin Tarantino, who's a little earlier. So Arnosky would like, follow with the so Nolan like, sort of thing. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Following. You can go, if you want to, yeah. So with, with exactly. So, so they'd be a separate Tarantino generation. To Tarantino, Soderbergh, to 
I think, right Tarantino, I think Tarantino's before what's this. The early, That's what I'm saying. But what's the early end you're talking about? I think Tar- I think Tar- I think Reservoir Dogs is well, the early Soderberg, end. Well, Soderbergh would be There's before this, else. too, though. Because yeah. Soderbergh would be 89. Yeah. A sex Life video is 89? What's... Is that 89? 89, 89, 89, 89, 89, 89. Yeah. yeah. Is it that early? I thought it was like 93. No, I think it's like... I think it's like 89. Hmm. Look it up. Yes, I mean, who Our else? Producer. Is, there isn't much else, really. No, but that, and that's kind of what I'm wondering. Is that like eighty nine? Is it eighty nine? Wow, that's so early. Yep. Still haven't seen it. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> and it's I, okay. I like them a lot. It's so. people having their soda or wet dreams. Constantly. But I, for some reason, I always come close, and I, it's not because of their fucking last name. But I always come like into this place where like the two Andersons I compare to each other for some reason. Well, so that's what I'm going to say is that I actually like I think Sid, I think Hard Eight is a lesser movie than most of those first than most of those first movies. It, even like something like um, and maybe this is kind of like our Luca Mitchell versus Machine conversation earlier, Mario. But like The Brothers McMullen, I think is a better film than something like Hard Eight because I think it's more it's trying to do less. And thus has less pretension, and thus feels like a more honest expression of, of of whatever Ed Burns was trying to do. This feels like a pastiche of a bunch of different kinds of movies, while still seeming like um, I mean, I guess I guess generative, like the exegesis of of Paul Thomas Anderson's career. Like you can see everything he's gonna do in like the next ten years of his life in Hard Eight. I guess Van Zant would have to be thrown in here, right? Van Zant, so he's the '80s. I see. Yeah, yeah I'm Private Eye was '90. No, but he was—he had movies before Private Eye, didn't he? I thought I remember. But one thing to note, though, he was 25 when this was released. Sure, and he admits Young. to bull, like bullshitting his way into getting made. Yeah, but I think the interesting thing is that aesthetically, it's all there. Him and Robert Ellsworth are like they know what they're doing mm-hmm. like they're in perfect sync and they're going to do the same thing through Boogie Nights through Magnolia through Punch Drunk Love and they'll do similar things in like um, I wouldn't say Boyle's included in this because Shallow Graves 94 but I feel like Boyle's comes from comes from a different aesthetic probably but Trainspotting's kind of got to be Shallow Graves and Trainspotting have to be kind of in the same Considered in the same vein, but they're but they're they seem. I think my point is that they all seem like more accomplished filmmakers early on, and Paul Thomas Anderson still seemed like he was trying a bunch of stuff out. Where even I, had, but I, I don't think I I but that's why I keep coming back to like this bottle rocket comparison where I don't think Anderson is. I think Anderson's trying a lot of shit out there too. Mm-hmm. Wes Anderson's trying a lot of shit out there too. But it feels more confident. It feels like his trying yeah, shit out it has is more has a, a more specific voice to it, and this hints at that. But it also has like the scene that I I was blown away by, and it's not even like it's not a good scene, so don't like misinterpret my blown away. When Jimmy, after the conversation that Jimmy has, or not Jimmy Gator, Sydney has with Jimmy and Johnny about Clementine's. Pussy. And then mm-hmm. he goes outside to have a cigarette, and that's when he sees Clementine coming out of the room. Uh, Philip Baker Hall walking out of that like kind of back door onto the loading dock. Paul Thomas Anderson will never shoot another scene, or help will never have another montage of a guy walking out 
of like a loading dock that looks anything like that scene ever again in his whole life will he ever include a scene that's just like here's a guy walking mm-hmm. it's just it's like a middle uh, 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 you know waste up that, view of a guy kind of walking out and, that, doors. and that's that's what i wonder i wonder if there's the confidence you see in this is not so much the basis of paul thomas anderson being confident as a director as more as Robert Elswit yes. being competent as a filmmaker. Yep. So we go with Robert Yulman, like, for Bottle Rocket. Robert Yulman's worked with William Friedkin on fucking To Live and Die in L.A. It's okay. Which, which looks, fine. but it has, like, really I'm well, joking. Joking. you know, well put together shots. Um, to Live and Die in L.A. is... is and is, and is, Rampage, is but also, like, he did Drugstore Cowboy yeah. with Gus Van Zandt at this point, so he's already has Independent Spirit Award for mm-hmm. Cinematography. Compared to Elswit, Elswit at this point, his biggest film has been, um, well, he did Hand That Rocks the Cradle with Hanson. Remember that one? Yeah. And uh, like, I guess his movie immediately preceding this was uh, River Wild, also a Curtis Hanson movie. Apparently, Robert Elswit and Curtis Hanson got some work in there. I like it. River Wild's so good. And that's a well-shot film. John but- C. Riley. Yeah, that's a good John C. Riley. Kevin Bacon. Oh, you have to see you that. You never saw Wild? River Wild. Oh, yeah, River Wild. Wild. Yeah, that's a... That's a Meryl Streep movie you probably like. I love that's that like a movie. good Meryl Streep performance. But I don't too. think of that as a Meryl Streep movie. I think of it as a James Strathairn movie. Not a James Strathairn. That's a, so such a good movie. It's a great movie. Hmm. Have we done ninety four action films yet? We haven't. No, we did ninety three action. Ninety three and ninety six, I think. No, we did. Yeah, ninety three, ninety six. Yeah, ninety four. Well, you know, I came across this recently in in some kind of list and was like, but. But just, just really Never quick, before you, before you get into it, um, like, Robert Elswit had had those, like, those were his two big movies, unless we're talking about, like, Return of the Living Dead Part 2, which is great, but we're not going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, and I think that's a lot of what, what is happening here. I, I think from a narrative construction standpoint, both of these filmmakers are really unsure of how to construct a narrative. Mm-hmm. But from how that looks, like, Elswit... How is, it should look, yeah. Yeah, how it should look and how, like... Comfortably you craft it. Like when the shot of the drink looks like whiskey mm-hmm. um, and Hard Eight is like centered in the middle of the shot and it focuses on that to be like perfectly centered and perfectly framed. I'm like, this isn't an Elswit thing. No, he would never do that. Yeah. And and that's but whereas Yeoman um, is just by that point it's like just like I'm gonna film this the way I wanna film it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't fucking care what Wes Anderson's gonna tell me. I don't he can go fuck himself. I, I know what I'm doing. You know William Friedkin, and he still isn't. Take that, Wes Anderson. Um, <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I, I think that's what almost comes into the hesitancy for Hard Eight, is I think it's just the way it looks. Well, so my problem is not how it looks. It's what it's it's the script because I think it looks like an it looks like a very early independent Paul Thomas Anderson movie, but it doesn't sound like one from a from a, a no. But I don't I don't think Wes I don't think. Bottle Rocket does either. No, Bottle Rocket doesn't, but it has a voice to it. So the script in and of itself is not necessarily as strong as it would be in Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But Paul Thomas Anderson... The, the, the this, first et cetera being Life Aquatic, which didn't have any voice whatsoever. Um, <laughs> it, Paul Thomas Anderson, literally in his next movie, was going to write lines that make every single line almost in Sydney. Or heartache, totally irrelevant. That's yeah. the thing. The leap forward is immense. It's, an, it's incredible. 
Which I think I think is a good segue into you go from Hard Eight and then you know you go you go through the, the early LA period. There will be blood, which is like a a, sh- a total shift. The master kind of carries some of this narrative. It's it's or it, not narrative, but kind of like this visual something. aesthetic and sense of this place. adventurousness, yeah. this darkness, this whatever. We're gonna open up. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna um, introduce new beer. Oh, we this, new this, you said this darkness. Oh yeah, uh, like the Hellefe from. Alchemist. This is a dark IPA. LFA has been our holiday ale since our first Alchemist holiday in 2003. Hmm. And a dark IPA inspired by my tutelage under Greg Noonan at Vermont Pub and Brewery. Hail Santa. It's making me uncomfortable to think that they keep talking about the holidays. It's got a horrifying... Oh my god, that is... That, that is, is a dark, dark IPA. Jesus Christ, from across the table. That man, that looks... That is oh, God. Rough. It's got a scary looking kitten on the cover too, dressed as Santa. Oh, we're cheersing this. No one's drinking this without a cheers. Yep. We need to we need to protect ourselves. There's no surviving this. No, it's got it's got dark dark notes in the in the smell. You ready? I'll take the I'll take the, the refuge on the bottom. Alright. To Alefe, a holiday well, to beer. Christmas in July, in June. Yes. July, but this Come episode's on. coming out in July, right? In July, so. Oh my god, that smells like coffee and malt. It tastes vague. It tastes so stouty. Tastes like a stout or a porter. But drier? Yeah. No, it just tastes like a, a porter. That's a porter forward for me. I enjoy it. But it's thinner. That is an IPA, though. Why would they call it's it an a, IPA? I would just call that a porter. It's got a really subtle IPA bite at the end, in the back end. A See, little that, bit, that like bite, very little. That bite to me is just a. Um, That's the pavement. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but that, is, no, that, no, is, that yeah. bite to me is just like what you would get from a, a heftier porter. Because usually just, a porter is like a five to six and a half percent. This is. A higher ABV at seven percent. I don't think I disagree with you. I think it's just it suggests IP. It suggests IPA, but I think it Maybe. could go the other way too. I can imagine that they did that on purpose. So we're going dark. Intentionality. Intentionality. And I would say that this movie has a lot of intentionality to it. And and to a fault that I think the two of you thought. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna actually give this. Let's give. Let's get the backstory though, really quick. This is a good backstory. This is this is the reason. Should I do a clip here? No, we... let's do the backstory. We'll lead into the backstory. Start. Yeah, go. So, it was January of 2015 at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we were going to Baltimore to see the AFC and NFC Championship at yep, we're visiting Andrew. Andrew's house. Because you, you guys did this every year. Every year, yeah. Yep. And this is going to be my first sojourn with you guys. And there had been a bit of an ice storm the night before. But it didn't seem too bad in New Haven. Hamden no, area. and even on Route Eight, it seemed like very manageable. Like this is right, messy, yeah. but we could. This is we'll clear up, and we can do it. We got uh, into Fairfield County. Yeah, we we, we had we had we hadn't got we had got beers already, right? No, we, no, it was the no. We had got beers because we ended up going to Greg's afterwards with the beers we had already bought. Oh yeah, uh, you drank that whole twelve pack. <laughs> no, that wasn't that. I was at a uh, Chris's. 
No, that was at that was Greg's that was house. Greg's house. Yep. That I also did that. You drank the whole honey spot twelve pack. All right, I did that twice then. Uh, <laughs> I also did that at Chris's house for the Super Bowl. But we um, were, I mean, at, to be fair, at Chris's house at the Super Bowl, that was um, we were all. That was the end. That was the end. That was the last Chugle. That was the last Super Bowl halftime show. That was uh, 49ers Ravens. Yeah. And Colin Kaepernick was the quarterback, so University of Nevada representative. And you were just like, I'm going to drink, I'm gonna drink a two roads 12 pack. Fuck all of you guys. Including University three roads of ruins. coming in Hamden tonight. I was getting picked up by my parents. It was fine. Um, <laughs> and, and we got to Fairfield County, and the ice storm uh, became an ice storm. Do you remember and that? I, mean, I was driving. It was eerie. Yeah. You were driving? Heroin. Yeah. There were people bailed out fucking cars all sliding over. all over the road. You, you, you commanded never, you commanded the road though. I couldn't even believe you just, I made it as you far just as we stuck made it. in the right lane. Yep. Yep. We never really slid. Nope. But and then we like, decided to get off at Fairfield. We went to a diner. Got some breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. That was and we we were. I, I, got pan, I got pancakes, I think, which are pretty solid pancakes. And we yeah because we good coffee, good tried diner coffee. Out we we yeah. tried to make it, and then at some point it was just like this isn't going to work. This yeah. is just not going to work. So we got on the merit, which was fine. The merit was, but because it, it was backed up, it was well, really right. backed up because of the ice storm, and so, and so we were, were around. We just wanted to still hang out. We didn't know what to do. We, just we had to watch and, the games, and, yeah. but the games were going to happen. The games were going to happen for hours, yeah. and uh, we decided to go see. And Greg hated every minute of us being at his place. Yeah, oh yeah. But he also just, hated every minute of us watching this movie. I'm pretty sure he left for some of it. For what? Oh right, Greg was with us, right? Yeah, yeah. there's the four of us. Did he leave the theater? I'm pretty sure he just. Are we of... ever going to get Greg on this podcast? That's never going to happen, is it? No. Well, he yeah. No, sorry. Maybe he'll do it. Does he ever... He texted me the other day about hiking, and, or uh, like a month ago about hiking, and I was like, yeah, let we'll me We'll do, do a hiking, hiking podcast episode. Let's hike. Yeah, we'll do it from the top of Sleeping Giant. I actually have an idea that we have to talk about after this podcast. Yes. Okay, good. Um, um, but but we, yeah, so, we, we went to, was it Bridgeport? Was it Bridgeport? Or Stratford? Yeah, it was the Bridgeport. And the Bridgeport... Criterion. It was a Criterion Showcases theater. right next to each other. No, showcase, 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 yeah. Showcase, yeah. And they were playing because so uh, we looked at yeah. we looked at the showcase we looked at the screenings and like it lined up perfectly. Like because yeah. I looked it up on my phone and I was yeah, like yeah, we inher- I was like inherent vice and I was like this is the perfect Let's movie. Do it. Let's do it. We got off and we went to see inherent vice. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. You got a spare picture I could borrow? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you're better off with the Nazis. Whoa. Are you all right? Am I? Are you? Ordinarily, we're the ones asking the questions. And your question is, which side am I on? Good question. Wrong answer. Choto, kinichiro, dozo, moto, panakeku. 
Moto Penekeku. Moto Penekeku. Hai. 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 Doc may not be a do-gooder, but he's done good. But I do know that I love you. And I know that if you love me too, what a wonderful world this would be. Good luck, Doc. What a wonderful world this would be. Coming just in time for Christmas. No, thanks, Sortilage. <laughs> Joanna Newsom. Mario? Well, the most important part is that sometimes you're shitting and vomiting at the same time, and that's a turn-on. <laughs> yeah, okay. I feel like I want to talk last here. You really liked this movie. I, I, I enjoy this movie. There In fact, is... you, we came out of the theater, and Tom and I were just like, ah, and you were like, I think it's really good. I, the, I'll preface this. I have read zero Thomas Pynchon works, mm-hmm. and I came into this movie having seen zero Thomas Pynchon, having read zero Thomas Pynchon works, mm-hmm. having tried with Gravity's Rainbow, it's still something I have had a difficulty to approach. Um, Paul Thomas Anderson says he also has not read Gravity's Rainbow. Yeah. He's tried and he has not. He has failed. Um, and I I came to this liking this genre, this mm-hmm. private detective who's drugged out genre. Um Obviously, obviously, my third film, Big Lebowski, and a mm-hmm. film I enjoyed quite a bit upon subsequent viewing under uh, the Silver Lake. Um, yeah. Yep. All being in the same trilogy of films, I think these are the three That's films. Really, I mean, that should be someone should write that essay. Oh it's yeah, just those three movies like lined up together. Yeah, because they're they're it's a genre yeah. of it, and um, having seen like just it it carried the line of not being as humorous at all as Big Lebowski. Mm-hmm. Um, try, but still being humorous, still still carrying that line of humor, but trying to be more serious and slightly surreal, but not as surreal as Under the Silver Lake. So it, for me, the thing that worked always for me was Inherent Vice was like this perfect middle ground. Mm-hmm. This, this middle ground of being a Raymond Chandler story existing in this slightly surreal world Mm -hmm. and it's done by a bunch of people who had you know in comparison to hard eight a very apparent amount of confidence in what they were doing sure um that it's a solid johnny greenwood score that's never overwhelming anything i think it's one of the underrated johnny greenwood scores yeah it's a johnny greenwood score that is absolutely working whereas something like phantom thread a movie i love the score carries 60 percent of that film oh my god it's picking up so much yeah this is this is just providing a back this is just providing an exoskeleton one of the things is everything radiohead-esque score because it's a lot of guitars like skittering drums and stuff it's feel it's the one that feels the least 
Johnny Greenwood film composer and the most Johnny Greenwood songwriter. Absolutely. Which I guess is fair because it's, it's, it's meant to be a more organic experience than and as, the as a heavy modernity to it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Would, that would command that. Um, and Robert Elswit's allowed to play around with just play around with color and play around with just very medium close shots mm-hmm. a lot. A lot of medium close and shots. It's it's not so much vestiges. It's not it's not, you know, asking what the master or asking what there will be blood is doing. It's just a very modern film and he's allowed to just like put it there and just be there. And it just watching it, it it kinda just it had a looseness to it. Mm-hmm. A looseness yes, but control, which I really enjoyed. And as somebody who wasn't who never read Inherent Vice, never read anything from Thomas Pynchon, just knew you two loved Thomas Pynchon. Mm-hmm. I was just like, this is fun. I had so much fun. <laughs> Luca, I guess, of Paul Thomas Anderson movies. I just had a, <laughs> a lot of fun with it. You know, it's just everybody seemed to be loose having, and and mm-hmm. it just was a fun experience. And it right. it's 150 minutes that felt super quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I remember, I don't know how you felt, I was dying the first time we saw it. And I think it's, you I, know mean, what it it is. A, I was under a lot of stress. It's all the I parts. coming down from, oh, yeah. like, from <laughs> sure. yeah. But I experienced roughly the same thing watching it this last time. But it, it's only the parts where Shasta visits him in his apartment. I mean, the, the sex scene is great, don't get me wrong, but, um, I mean... <laughs> we try not to say that it's on the podcast, but that sex scene is pretty, pretty solid. It's pretty hot. <laughs> and you don't even know... The only reason it's not hot is because I'm not even sure it's supposed to be hot, and I'm not even sure Doc wants it to yeah, be hot yeah, yeah. at all, but she's just like, I'm very hot, and he's just like... I mean, so... No, it's, no, no one makes it so hot is how in control she is. That's well, what makes it really because hot. It's because she's the one saying, like, all the things that... Oh, she even triggers everyone. Into- ev- yeah, and she, she does it. She's in control of it. And so even though he's, like, trying to, like, physically maintain control of it, she's mentally and emotionally in control of it. And that is sexy well, as because shit. because if you watch his face, which I did this... Time. It's pained. He like yeah. He looks like he's gonna fucking die. He looks like he's gonna have a heart attack. I mean, he looks like he is. He is like that joint that is in his mouth goes all the way down, and he's like been. He's just like choking on it. Hmm. Women, if if you could ever destroy men, that's like the perfect thing to do. And I remember in the in context, ladies. I don't I don't remember knowing that that was coming. So in context of seeing it the first time, I was like, what is this? And everyone was like, the Martin Short scene, the Martin Short scene. I was like, yeah, this scene fucking sucks. Oh, no, 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 no. But really? Martin Short I scene I think that captured rough. the most. I hated it. The pinch and vibe. I don't think it did at all. Really? I think it tried to. I think it thought it did. But I don't think it actually got there. But talk no, about the pinch no, and vibe no, no, no. a little bit. So the pinch and vibe is the dialogue. Mm-hmm. So there's two aspects of pinch and. It's his talking about, like, you know, paranoid conspiracies and the preterite and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. But then there's also just the fucking amazing dialogue mm-hmm. in his books. And that's where I thought, um, you know, those scenes, the Martin Short scene and uh, even like, like uh, you know, 
Just any, I, I know it's almost verbatim pension, right? Yeah, he like so, just stole, not stole. Yeah. He just used the book and kind of yeah. took it and just and made a script out of it. I mean, the one that's sticking in my mind is like, you know, when Martin Short offers the cocaine, he's like, well, if only to be sociable. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such great dialogue. So that's the stuff, I mean, I love all of it, but um, I just feel like the dialogue aspects are the best part. See, and I think it just. But the movie. Yeah, continue. The movie makes it seem like a. To me, too much of it seems like a drag. But what's yeah. funny is on cable, like, I would be flipping through channels and it was on cable a lot. Yeah. I would always get sucked in. Okay. But it was always because it was after the beginning. Mm. And I just watched that long hour and a half middle. Mm-hmm. And, right. Uh, and that's where the. I, I think. My problem with the movie is kind of the same thing that, that you just... So, for me, it was... The dialogue is always kind of funny, but it's always because the tone is set by, like, all the in-between stuff, which I don't think they... I just don't think Paul Thomas Anderson seems to... to oh, he gets it. But again, I think he's trying too much to put Pynchon as, like, a... Um, like, a vessel? Like, or, 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 like, an oracle into this movie? Like, a pinching attitude grafted yeah. onto the movie? Because there's a, so much stuff in this movie. There's so many moments in this movie where it's just two people talking for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, he would, like, pinch well, that's you like, never When you're reading him, it's like this. It snaps. And, and because it's, and then it'll, it'll stop, you'll, you'll stop dialogue in the middle of, like, a sentence to do, like, 15 lines yeah. of, dis, of, of, of sensual description of like what is act, like the smell in the room or something like that or the sounds in the room right. and this it's just like stayed kind of oh here's Owen Wilson and Joaquin Phoenix having a conversation at a table for like five minutes about like his you know Jenna Malone and the and the daughter right, right. Like, just alright just go like just get out of here like why are you just sitting here Pigeon would never just sit here. That's why, like in the in the PTA um, uh, Mark Barron conversation, when he's just like, "Oh, you know, what is this movie about?" To he's like, "Oh, it's about Pigeon." I was like, "It can't be about Pigeon because he would never do any of this." Yeah, see, and that's right. the thing, and that's the thing. That's why I think I enjoy this movie so much. It's not a Pigeon movie to me. It is a like a a love letter to a mixture between of all the stuff like, we talked about during the amusement park conversation. And I give them all like the, the Putney Swopes and all those other kind of like seventies. Well, kind of, kind of, right. No, kind of, kind of like a mixture of like that new Hollywood stuff. So yep. kind of like what you would expect from um, like an Elliot Gould movie. Sure, like Long um, Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Long Goodbye is a good example. Um, and also like the previous like Chandler stuff, like like Big Sleep and all that. Like mm-hmm. it has all that like too much dialogue and too much exposition stuff. And then you just throw in all these like sight gags that you get from like a Zucker movie. Or do you get from um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Zucker, Abram Zucker, and the other director that's blanking me out right now, like a Mel Brooks sort of thing. Mm, it's, a little bit, yeah. It feels much more like a love letter to this like conflagration or this like blob of existence between two very disparate parts of film. Mm. And maybe this was like like Hard Eight's interesting to me is because like Hard Eight works because it's also like this love letter to like film styles, and Inherent mm. Vice feels like this kind of like 
throwing everything into a bucket mm-hmm. in terms of movie making okay. and seeing what works because it's 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 slapstick, it's it's goofiness, it's 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 fun, but it's also like hard boiledness um, and and new Hollywood essence, and it just kind of. In all of that, it just kind of works. Like My, like the sight gag of, of Bigfoot just consuming all the ashes. Mortal pancakes! You know, it just is... weed, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it just works for, for everything that's built around it. And I think that's right. And I guess my question would be, is it, for, I guess, for you, JP, is it too hard-boiled? Is it too hard? Because I think the pinch and aesthetic... Like from against the day on is not as it's against the day a book of his against the day is, big one yeah. yeah it's the one that came after Mason and Dixon so yeah. it's Gravity's Rainbow Vineland so it's every nine it's pretty much every nine to ten years he has a book and then after against the day he starts releasing Inherent, uh, Inherent Vice and Bleeding Edge come like smaller books like three years yeah they're like five hundred pages yeah. Inherent Vice is like three hundred four three four Bleeding Edge five hundred um, but yeah, for him, they're smaller. It seems too hard-boiled for Inherent Vice. Inherent Vice seems like a bunch of... It seems like a good time. And this movie didn't feel like a good time when I watched it. In part. Like, even, like, the the conversation... So when you referenced at the beginning, the Jenna Malone conversation, where, like, he's taking a shit and she throws up in his lap yeah. and they end up, like, whatever. That, that scene is not played for laughs. Minus him... Screaming at like the a picture, her- a picture of a heroin addicted baby. Right, right. Like none of that stuff is. And funny. I didn't think that worked. But in the book, it's funny. Yeah. The part where like Jade and that one, the other woman, like are you know going down on each other in the, in like the trailer, when they encounters the the Aryan Brotherhood or whatever. That scene in the book is played for laughs. In the movie, it's not necessarily like. Funny. It's just kind of like, well, is this provocative or is this it's not provocative? It's trying or what to lay the groundwork yeah. for the, the plot, which you know we could talk about that a little bit. In any pension book, the plot is besides the point. And I think this movie knows it, but it also still tries to have as much plot as it can possibly have, yes. which is where you get the Joanna Newsom voiceover through the whole thing, trying right. to kind of. Connect dots. No, I don't want my dots connected. I'm fine. You know, on that WTF, you know, or in, in interviews, uh, Paul Tom, he PTA said uh, he attempted to do violin first and said, I just mm-hmm. couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to do it. I feel like that would have been easier, an easier swallow for the general. Okay, no pension. Uh, adaptation is going to be for general audience. Yeah. But I feel like vinyl would be much more palatable to do. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like Jim, Mario aside, like it's impressive that Mario had never having read him. Love, buddy is a film head. You're a film head, so right? But, and this is a super filmy film. Yes. Yes. But the general audience is going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" Right. Um, and you know, well, that's a, and I, I don't think. So this is, I mean, I guess I, we had to bring it up at some point. Attached to this movie for the longest time was Robert Downey Jr. Yes. It was going to be Doc. And our hopes and dreams. And he's talked about it, and he's like, I didn't I didn't commit to it. Like, we were talking about it. It was on the table. I guess a schedule changed. Right. 
I love Joaquin Phoenix. It confirms my belief that Joaquin Phoenix is fantastic and deserves to have an Oscar. I, I can't believe it's for the Joker, but like he's just great in this. This movie requires Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, it, it requires a humorous bent to it. it. It requires his, well, I don't remember his Zodiac character's name, but that's essentially Hollywood, who yeah. I'm thinking of. Yeah. Well, because there's moments like when Bigfoot and, and Doc are talking, and then Benicio Del Toro comes as, you know, is marine, he's a Marine lawyer, and he's Sancho Smilex. The names are... So it's like, all that, does all that casting work? Like, around I think Benicio's fine. I think Josh Brolin is amazing. Yes. But it's... The idea that Joaquin is playing Doc so seriously leaves a big, like, gaping hole in a lot of these scenes where, like, I need I need humor to attach but that's these all, things together. And that's all... I, the way I read Pynchon's uh, protagonist, yep. Benny Profane, Tyrone Slothrop, yep. Doc Sportello, mm-hmm. just sort of more like, hey... You know, more well, they're accident, lighter. They're just, accidental protagonists. They're, yeah, None of them want to be they're protagonists. They're dumbasses. Yeah. But as a film person and not a pension person, if he's also not, if he's also playing that kind of like Lebowski role, does it? Does the film work with the surrounding characters also being? And I wonder if Anderson thought about that because he said like Big Lebowski really concerned him yeah yeah absolutely and there's moments in this that feel like like the Jackie Treehorn scene you know what I mean yeah, yeah. that seem like just kind of what? finessed <laughs> versions of, of that scene but I think I think Josh what Josh Brolin is doing is funny and I think what like Benicio Del Toro is doing is funny what the doctor at the the yeah, psychiatric yeah, yeah. facility is doing is funny I think what Owen Wilson is supposed to be doing is funny. I think what Jenna Malone is supposed to be doing is funny. She's not funny. She's not funny, but I think it's supposed to be funny. Mm. But I think if there was somebody, if Doc was funny too, it would feel funnier. But I think, and I think this is part of the Martin it's Short the treatment. Thing. Yeah. There's Martin Short is doing his Martin Short best to kind of win uh, or get nominated for an Oscar. You think so? Well, I think I think he like, the supporting actor thing he thought was on the table. I don't think he wanted to win. I think he just kind of wanted to be recognized for. Well, because Paul was like, Martin's like, is this too big? And Paul's like, there's no, there's no, there's no such here. thing. There's no too big. It's, which is hilarious because he's like asking, is this too big? And then Joaquin Phoenix isn't doing anything. I know, yeah. yeah. Like for most of the scene until like like he leaves, until Martin Short leaves, then Joaquin Phoenix goes big, like leaning over for the coke or whatever. <laughs> But before that, it's just like, uh, okay. And like, I want, if I'm going to do oh, okay, I want some, I want some stuff. I want some head fakes. I want some eyebrow movement. I want some body language. Joaquin Phoenix is a fucking stone. He's an awesome stone. Um, and it's just a different take. It's just, it's different. And it, but it feels different. Like the, um, the, um, the early scene with Tariq Khalil that's in the Michael C. Mm-hmm. Williams yeah, character. Yeah. It's like that should be funnier. It's meant to be funnier. Tariq has like no use for Doc and his white like everything. But in the movie, it's just kind of like he, I'm going to say some lines and then you're going to say high versions of lines back to me. And it's just I don't know. It just bummed me out. 
just doesn't work. It doesn't feel. It doesn't feel right. But I think Mario is right saying that that is our problem as pinching people. It is. And I, but I, so me falling asleep during the movie, watching it again, is the fact that I've never been able to kind of undo myself from like the experience of reading it versus the experience of watching it. And to be fair to Paul Thomas Anderson, I'm actually pretty sure he's aware of it. I think he's probably okay with that. I'll always love the fact that he was the first person to tackle it. Whatever the problems with Right. Well, there was always a rumor that Gilliam was going to do Gravity's Rainbow. Really? Like, for a long time, Gilliam, it was kind of on the table that he would kind of do something. And I was like, it's impossible. Yeah. But Terry Gilliam likes to do impossible yeah. things that nobody wants or asks. <laughs> ask for. And the Hawks have beat the Bucks in game one of the Eastern Conference. Finals. Come on. How does that happen? Because Trey Young had 48 points. This is. So I wonder. Have you seen Under the Silver Lake? Yeah, and I. Only recently, about a month or two ago. Um, and I loved it. And you so know I was, why? I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Yeah. You know why? It was much more fun. I remember you guys talking about it. I think you had seen it. You were looking really looking forward to it. Yeah, it was I after it well, I mean, we, we yeah, had like, torrented it, it, didn't we? I don't know. Yeah, not, we really torrented yeah. it because it wasn't affi- it wasn't officially out where we yeah, saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember you talking about it at all. But I was like, this is we watched we watched it's the I same episode as Avengers Endgame. <laughs> it was like Avengers Endgame and Under the Silver Lake. We recorded the same day. Oh yeah, yeah. that's the that's the uh, sip of sunshine Saturday episode. Oh yeah, where yeah, I got yeah. fucked up. Yeah, <laughs> but I I, told, I texted Tom uh, when he invited me to this one. I said, did did you ever see Under the Silver Lake? Because to my memory, he hadn't, and you had, and uh, I was like, this. This movie was so much fun, and mm-hmm. it it hit all the pinch and. Well, that's what I was going to say because you had in mentioned fun that. Way. Like, like is that more? Like, is that more of the pinch and vibe? More of the pinch and, and vibe. I like yeah. the Silver Lake more than I like Inherent Vice. And I, but I remember the one, our big disagreement over Under the Silver Lake was about the score. No, oh, yeah, I like the Disaster Beat score. Right, and I hated it. That was I, and maybe that consumed our conversation. It was like. You ended up hating the uh, It Follows score too, right? Or just not liking it? I think It Follows is ridiculous. But I think Under the Silver Lake is is trying to do something similar but in succeeding. Because I think it hews closer to um, an overall general culture rather than like a horror movie constraint. Like I think It Follows was like hemmed in by the fact that it was trying to, yeah, yeah. to be a horror movie. Horror movie. And then under the Silver Lake was like we don't I don't know what I am I'm Twin Peaks mixed with a, a Pynchon novel well and you know and what I'm just weird and I'm, I'm, I'm a David Lynch movie mixed with a Pynchon novel and what is that well how's how, but so how does how like does how does that well. work how does that work more as a Pynchon because it's fun because it's fun it doesn't take itself so seriously because of like the Nintendo power thing being because the, of literally everything basically every Andrew Garfield reaction shot where he's like what yeah like, like that was it, it was, like that with everything that like everything that happens throughout the movie is like j- jarring to him and and like a mind fuck and and that's how pension books feel and it's i think the problem with the the 
Joaquin Phoenix Doc is every time someone every time he someone else brings up a name to him, he's like, Oh yeah, this person. And go back to the Martin Short thing when Japonica Fenway is just sitting there, he's like, Oh, Japonica, yeah. He seems so with it. Right. Like the stuff that's kind of going yeah, over his head. I, I agree with that. Just it just like, seems it never seems like he's in over his head. But Andrew Garfield seems with it, but like he's acting like he's with it. And like, this is so fun. He has no idea what's going on, but he's yeah. just like, sure, yeah, I yeah, yeah, yeah. know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, the movie succeeds at showing us that he has no fucking idea what's going on. And that, so every new thing is like know, a new interesting thing. And you know what it is? It's like pension books, like uh, V. Again, a lot of the scenes with the protagonist, mm-hmm. like Slother or Profane, they're just thrown into these new situations and these things just happen and it's right. and and they just and they just immerse themselves into those situations right. and it's fucking great and that's what under the silver like really it just hit those tones right? I will ask this has a person who's like tried with pinchin a couple times mm-hmm. and hasn't been able to do it yeah. and this is getting off course in movies what is pinchin offering me that don delillo isn't everything fun fun it's fun. And he, an emotional resonance, like, beyond the complexity and, like, the nihilism that you don't recognize at first, but is 100% there. So when Gottlieb gets in that fucking rocket at the end of that book, yeah, it's you're heavy. just like, Which book? in Gravity's Rainbow, okay. yeah. you're like, fuck. Yeah. Like, this is it. This is the end of the fucking world. Like, it, it, it fucking hurts. And you, it shouldn't hurt because you've heard all this shit about Gravity's Rainbow and like how obtuse it is and all sorts of blah, 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 blah. But if you find your way into it, you're like, oh, man, that shit is dark, not just culturally, but emotionally. So like when DeLillo's doing this stuff in Great Jones Street or Running Dog or Mount 2, you're just kind of like, yeah, that's cool. Those are cool thoughts to have. You know what I mean? Like, you, this is a cool all three character. books you named are the little books I haven't read. But oh, go ahead. yeah, but those are like the most paranoid. For me, those are the most paranoid Delillo books. Okay. Um, it never feels hard for the protagonists. It never feels hard for the reader. Even White Noise, which is kind of like you know, it goes into those places too. So guys, like that Vonnegut obtuseness. Right. It never. It never feels difficult. And I would also put um, William Gass's Middle Sea. In this category as well, he's the guy that did the tunnel. We talked about the tunnel. Right, we right, talked right, about right, Hancock. Right. But Middle C is his late book, and it's very straight, and it doesn't seem like it's gonna be sad. But the way that he frames everything is very emotionally, I'm gonna say pungent, even though I know that's not the right word. But it like it gives off a feeling of being of like something having been ruined. Yeah, and I think Delillo. You go into the book with everything is ruined, and we're just going to look at how ruined it is. And we're going to make some interesting, pithy comments about its ruinedness. And he's really good at that. But he doesn't take you through... He doesn't world build it. Right, he doesn't world build it. He doesn't take you through the emotional it's, it's catastrophe. There's adventures is. in Pynchon uh, right. books. And even something like... And that's where, like, Pynchon versus... Not even just David Foster Wallace, but William T. Volman. I think Volman is... Is reporting too much? Yeah. William T. Volman, he wrote the Rainbow Stories and the Royal Family. He writes a lot about um, prostitutes and 
Um, yeah, I remember there's a lot, there's a lot of books. Uh, I think you have one of his books. I do. You have one of the um, American. Yeah, you have one of those books. It's like American something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just couldn't get into um, it too. <laughs> because it's 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 not. He's a reporter. And yeah, some of his novels yeah. come off as two reportage, and Dense. Pynchon Pynchon takes you in, and he doesn't. No one ever says that Pynchon takes you in, but he takes you in. Oh god! It's and it and it's, it's. There's no but like. I, I will not pretend to understand half of what he's doing with the um, expository parts, yep. but the dialogue, nobody's ever in dialogue. Humorously enough, of all the books you've ever given me, the only one I've ever been able to like just drive right through is the uh, Oster New York trilogy. Mm. Mm. Well, he, I mean, but that's, that's genius too, but that is all also, I think, considered, because he came out of writing a bunch of poetry, like really like not easy you could argue not good, I guess, depending on who you are, poetry. And he was just like, I need to make money. I need to eat. No. And so I'm going to write mystery novels. But I don't know how to write mystery novels. <laughs> so I'm going to write them the only way I know how to write them, which is these really metaphysical kind of treatises on, like, identity. But I'm going to frame them as mystery novels. Yeah. And I think Pynchon... Maybe I think is better at getting at the emotions contained within that question than Paul Auster even is. But Paul Auster writes perfect sentences. So so let's say this: like this is the one attempt at a pension in yeah, film. Is it? Yep. Can any? If Anderson can't I do think it, the Vineland person could be. Vineland could. I mean, I think. It, but if 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 Anderson can't do it, who can? Um, Maybe the Cullens. The Cullens could. The Cullens and the Cullens could cast Michael Keaton and as Zoid Wheeler <laughs> um, today. Is that Vineland? In Vineland, he's the protagonist of Vineland. They do it, and it would be awesome. Yeah, it would be really cool. It could be a fucking eight-part series. I think one of the. I think Eric. But they wouldn't. I, I think Terry Jones, if he if he was still with us, right. could get a hold of Mason and Dixon and do a really interesting. Like Monty Python esque, yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah, yeah. take on Mason and Dixon. Mason and Dixon's his nineteen ninety eight novel. That's a that tough one. Written really in tough. the vernacular of the um, time the, of Lewis and Clark, essentially. What which one could James Franco do? I'm sure he would. I'm sure he has tried to do Crying Wolf for you, right? I'm sure he's jumped right on all over that, and people were just like, no, 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 James no, 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 James Franco. I'm not sure why you need to groom people to be crying a lot for you oh, James Franco. Uh, but I would, recommend, I would recommend trying to read V, too, because parts of that are real tough, but parts of it, but some chap, half of the chapters are just... What's it, Benny Griffin and uh, Robert Stencil? Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Henry Stencil, yeah. Well, well, Stencil, yeah. But the, the other guy that I think tries to do this, too, and Pynchon has been like a champion of him to the point where Pynchon people thought he was Pynchon is this guy Matt Ruff um, so he wrote this book um, oh my god I can't think of it right now this is where a pivotal film becomes a book podcast stone, which is why I want it to become Stone Junction <laughs> book and video games that Jim Dodge wrote Stone Junction so Jim Dodge um, I think people could I think people could do around Pynchon Pynchon stuff um, but I think Pynchon's tough because there's so much, there's always so much plot in his books that, um, 
I think people feel compelled, like Paul Thomas Anderson, to put in as much plot as humanly possible. Wait, Matt Ruff, the guy who did Lovecraft Country? Did he do Lovecraft Country? No. Also, the Mirage, Bad Monkeys, Fool on the Hill, Set This House in Order. Fool on the Hill, yeah, Set This House in Order. Did you have you ever read Set This House in Order? Set This House in Order is fucking amazing. Amazing. He did Lovecraft Country. One of the great books. I didn't know that. I never watched Lovecraft Country. I gotta do that. Yeah, Matt Ruff is fantastic. Set This House in Order blew my mind, but. Pynchon has done so. There's a point, a period where I was re- only reading books that Pynchon had done blurbs for, because Pynchon didn't do blurbs for anything, and or or at the time that I was reading Pynchon, it was before Against the Day, and I was like, Pynchon doesn't exist, right? And then all of a sudden, I was like discovering that he had done blurbs for this Stone Junction by Jim Dodge and these Matt Ruff books, and I was like, oh my god, there's a Matt Ruff book about the about sewers. What's the name of that book? Sewer, Gas, and Electric, the Public Works Trilogy. Yes, 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 yes. That book is fantastic. And it's very Pynchon-esque without being... It's absurdist and surrealist without trying to, like, tread on, like, um, the uh, vernacular that Pynchon uses in his in his books. Or, mm. the style, or the diction that Pynchon would use in his books. It's, it's fascinating. But that's, but that's, I think, the... Re- Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, is the perfect guy to dig into a Pynchon... Novel to make a movie about a Pynchon novel. I think he just got over Pynchon. Like he just tried to Pynchon, do too much Pynchon, and it became not Pynchon. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, which is a bummer because I, I want to like, I went into the, I mean, I was so excited to rewatch this movie, and I'd been kind of putting it off and putting it off and putting it off in the same way that I put off watching some of those later movies like Audition. Because I was just like, I just want to go into it like as fresh as humanly possible. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be, like, almost like viewing it like from a new perspective. And it was like the same. Like the second it started, and the voiceover started, I was like, don't do, don't, don't do voiceover. We don't need the no. voiceover. Um, but they, but she felt compelled. The one thing, one thing I'll say, going back to Under the Silver Lake, isn't it a disappointment that? You know, David Robert Mitchell has nothing else upcoming, whereas Robert Eggers is fine, and Ari Oster, the two, the three directors of like horror of that yeah. period, all, both of them have something coming up, big features, and David Robert Mitchell has nothing. Do you want me to be honest with you? I think those two guys are better filmmakers than David Robert Mitchell. Mm, interesting. Like I, by I got. No, I think they're better filmmakers. I don't think David Robert Mitchell knows what kind of film he wants to make. I don't think he's a natural right. filmmaker. I think Robert Eggers has an aesthetic and knows how film works. And I think Ari Oster has a plan. So I think to I your, think Ari Oster has a plan. Well, rubbing yeah, my well, that's it. fingers together for money. But I think going to your back to our Luca Mitchell versus Machines conversation, I think Ari Oster's fifth movie. Is gonna be fantastic. Ari Oster's fifth. Ari Oster, the one you think will make a movie that's good. I think Robert Eggers has already made two movies that are that are borderline classics. Yeah. Um, I don't think Ari Oster has it in him. I, but what I'm saying is, that I think his I think his fifth movie will be great by accident. Yes. Like he will accidentally finance because he knows how to do it. He knows how to work. He's, he's, he's going he's gonna to accidentally make a Nicholas Rogue movie, is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's got ideas, and he's, and he's watched the right movies. It's the same way that Alex Ross Perry, I think, at some point is going to luck into a hit. 
Albatross Perry is going to at some point luck into a movie that everybody says, holy shit. Albatross Perry is a better director than Sure, sure, sure. Absolutely. But I think they come from the same place in the, same, in the sense that they consumed a lot of film and are trying actively to, like, process, like, through their pores, like, their film knowledge. But that's not... While, that's not like, while, and their aesthetic vision. That doesn't make a good filmmaker, though. We've no, no, seen, no. well, we've I, seen a shit ton of movies. We can't make a movie I, to no, save our lives. I at no point said that it was going to be he is going to be a good filmmaker. I'm saying that his fifth movie will be really good, and you'll be like, "That was really good." I don't think it. I don't love all. Her, I don't love the four movies that came before it, but that movie that movie really worked. I don't and or I don't love that sixth movie even that he rushed out because the fifth movie was so. Like so well received. But people will convince themselves that it but was. But people have already convinced themselves that Hereditary is a good movie, and Hereditary fucking stinks. And Midsummer. No, Midsummer is, is fine. A fine movie. It's fine. Scorsese loves Midsummer. Midsummer. I think Midsummer is 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 not as the problem with Midsummer again. The problem with everything because it's so easy to be a Republican because this is the new thing in this uh, podcast. The new theme of this podcast is that the media was like. Midsommar is really, oh, so horrifying. It's The ending is going to terrify you. It's like, yeah, you sewed a, a guy up into a bear that was dead. Set him on fire. Who cares? Why do we care about this? Do you know what happened an hour ago? Do you know what happened two hours ago in the movie? You had a, a pointless... Well, the goriest death in that film is the initial deaths of the... No, not, right. not the initial deaths, but the... Sacrifices. The, the, the sacrifices, the, the, yeah. The and the people that jump off the... Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, that, yeah, those are the fucking best, and the movie is all downhill from there. Well, and the a, circle screaming too is the right. most effective. But it's got a, it's got good it's got good aesthetic bones at the end. The 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 hacks and cloak. Jesus oh, that, Christ! The hacks and cloak score. Oh, that's that's all distorted now. Oh boy, the hacks and cloak score is um, fantastic. Florence Pugh is fantastic. The production design is fantastic. Right. Everything leading up to the ending scene is just is fun. Do we have a Do we have an a sense of his vision though? I just I just no. feel like I just feel like he's just like hi, I'm Ari Oster. We don't. I have a bunch of people who know how to make movies surrounding scary, me. Because the scariest part of Hereditary is, is the end, and it's an accident because it's ridiculous. That headless Tony Collette floating into the treehouse is fucking stupid, but aesthetically it works. You're just like. Because he watched a bunch of, bunch of fucking Hammer movies. But that's what I'm saying. But that's what I'm saying is that at some point he's going to take all of this collected knowledge and his ability to kind of synthesize it and he's going to make a good movie. So somebody like me will just still be angry about it because I'll yeah, just be like... Yeah, he'll be mad about it. Because I'll be like... I'll be like, acknowledge that work. No, I, I probably won't because I'll just be like, he just copied all this. But you'll say, it, you'll say he copied all that. Like, congratulations, you remade Mario Bava. Exactly. But you remade pieces. But it would but work. But I think it's, a, I think it's like a Luke Aguadagnino conversation with Suspiria. Is that like, no, the, but there's, there's, there's new stuff happening there. There's new stuff happening, but in, in, in a lot of ways, Luke Aguadagnino is responding to a very specific 70s horror aesthetic, and he's trying to do a new no. kind of version of it. This is a different conversation for a different day. But he is doing so much more work than Ari Aster could ever dream of. Oh, I'm not comparing him and Ari Aster. What I'm comparing is the idea of consuming... And we had this conversation when we talked about Suspiria, because I love Suspiria, is consuming, consuming a genre 
and critically synthesizing exactly. it. Exactly. And Ari Aster can't do that to save his fucking life. No, but what I'm saying is that he may... But I think... I what think, I'm saying is that he Like, may... Edgar's and Mitchell can. I don't think Mitchell just does what he wants to right. do. Edgar's, I think, has a vision. I think Edgar's is going to continue to improve well, as a filmmaker. David Robert Mitchell, I think, thinks he has drank all his... He found all of the Kool-Aid that was left available on eBay, and he drank it all. And he was like, I'm great. I'm really, really good. Meanwhile, like all the people that are his peers, Jared Sullivan, I think, is another one of those guys you can add to that list, are actively making movies, and David Robert Mitchell is doing nothing. Do you yeah. think David Robert Mitchell might be like the Richard Kelly of this era, like one and done? I don't know. Donnie the, Darko, and then... In Southland Tales? Well, South, but that was... They made a TV show out of Southland Tales, didn't they? Yeah. But I mean, in terms. No, of I think Under a Silver Lake's a little more trajectory. No, I think he's got. I think he's got some. I think he's got good films, and he just needs to stop sniffing his asshole. Oh, but he's gonna need to and make him. a movie. But oh, I mean, Netflix! After, after Netflix or Prime will give it to him. Exactly. Yeah. I think he could get funding. I think he just needs to get the fuck out of his own way and make a movie. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things where I think this, this is where Robert Eggers. Speak about auteur. <laughs> we're to, we're to finish up this episode, yeah, now yeah. we're and doing think, an auteur conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think Robert Eggers is the is the leader in this pack. Because he's like, I don't really care what I have. I, you know, give me who... I'll he's take, experimenting. I'll take the best actors I can get. I'll take... And I'll put them on a set. And I'll just fucking blast lights into their face. With a script about masturbating to mermaids. Having sex with mermaids. And like Willem Dafoe just yelling at people in, in sea language. And I'm going to make a very successful movie. Was that his script? Yeah. 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 And like the, even the witch. I have a goat. It's a scary goat. <laughs> and I'm going to end it weirdly and not effectively. But up until that, what is your movie about? It's about I a goat that's scary. Uh, and I, I didn't like it as soon as they showed like the guy. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm out. When it's just, when you think it's just the goat talking to her, I'm like, yeah. awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Or when it's just Ralph, when it's Ralph Ennison doing his thing, right? But when it's when as soon as you see like the bottom that's why like, that's why David that's, that's why like, that's why like when we're talking about all these guys like David Lowry's like the leader of the pack is because David Lowry's like sure that's the perfect person yeah but also David Lowry's like I've seen a couple movies I guess well that's why David Lowry made like you know that's why Ghost Story is a problem for like its first ten minutes for me as we talked about on on like this this show but the rest of the movie is like the bravest. Like mainstream, but like independent film that no. you could ever make, which is like, no, no, no one's gonna say anything to anybody. Rudy Mayer's not even gonna be in this movie past minute twenty. What do you think about that? All the stars are gone past minute twenty. It's just a guy in his sheet looking at stuff. But that's, but I think it, it, it it'll hurt, and I'll be here for you when it hurts you. Ari Aster's gonna make a good movie. He's gonna do it. I will. I will hate it. Just out of sure. He, but he's gonna do it. He's gonna make a go- a movie from beginning to end, which is like that was effective. If he could give Florence Pugh an Oscar, sure. But outside of that, no. <laughs> Not gonna accept it. I think she's gonna be one of those people that's never gonna get it. Yeah, probably. Well, she's lost to the Marvel world now, probably. You know, but I think her, between her and Saoirse Ronan, like people are just gonna assume that they won already, even if they haven't. Yeah. Won. A- <laughs> they haven't won awards. I mean, she's clearly up to Zach no, Braff. Zach Braff will somehow win an Oscar, and it's she won't. Not, <sighs> no, he's tricked her, thinking he's a cool guy. 
<laughs> if you want to tweet us about how I'm a cool guy, you can tweet us at Film Pivotal. Oh, did you also make Garden State? Did you also use the shins and just oh, like, I'm sure. piggyback off their whole Oh, I'm sense? sure. I'm one, cool one thing. Of the shins. Last week I forgot to mention this, though. Mitchells versus the Machines. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Using um, La Tigra and Talking Heads in the same movie and having really? it work so much. And not using... Teasing, but not using Coldplay. All right. It's good. But right see, at the end there. They could have done it. They were ready to do it. They were ready to do it. They were ready to put Fix You right in there, but they didn't do it. When they used La Tigra, though, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, good. they did good. They did good. It's good to use La Tigra. Um, uh, yeah. Did you finish? I did my part. You're lying. Go to, uh, send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast.gmail.com. Go to pivotalfilm.com and see a list of the movies on our list. And where our Paul Thomas Anderson movies fall. I don't know why it sounds so bad. Bring the mic away from I don't, it. But it's not registering as blue. Wow, really? It's weird. I don't know. There's something wrong with the connection. It's just only coming through my it's left ear. It's like you on a normal like, podcast. Well, it's because I, I scream. It's, it's you before I tell you to bring it up. Huh. That's, where my, that's where my blue level is. Yeah. So they're just going to get a lot of distorted, but nice. very low end. Yeah, it is nice. It is nice. nice. Um yeah, I don't know what we're going to do next. We're going to talk about Black Widow next. We're going to talk about... We're gonna, we no, no, man, of, we're, we're have, we, no, we have we have some horror movies to discuss in the next episode. Oh, is that the Werewolves That's Within? That's the Werewolves Within and the Fear Street Part 1 episode. Oh, but you are so fascinated, buddy. Because it's R-rated. It's such like a strong... All three movies are rated R for like strong, bloody gore violence. But Mario, what if it's not like strong, bloody gore violence? I would be disappointed. What if it's just like what they think is strong, bloody gore violence, but it's just kind of like... Like a, a streak of blood across a face. I'm expecting Scream 4 level levels of violence. Nice. I'm on a couple intestines, but I'm not expecting, you know... Too late? Saw 7. Late? I'm not expecting Saw... Yeah, yeah. Like, like uh, you know, uh, a foot and a half of small intestines. <laughs> Very good. Alright, uh, go see movies um, if you're comfortable. Or watch them online. Uh, drink beers. Again, out if you're comfortable. If not, just drink it out if you're comfortable. Which one?